Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, or as some like to call it, TBGWGC. That's our acronym. And <laughs> I'm feeling acronymy. But anyway, you're going, you're going deep, bro, today. What's up with these acronymies? Hey, you know, it, it's the season for, for giving thanks, saving season for the gifts, and it's also the season for acronyms. Maybe you just didn't know that. But anyway, um, today, I, did you guys have a happy Thanksgiving, by the way, Karen, Sean? Amazing, amazing Thanksgiving. Socially distanced, responsible, a couple of friends, banged it out. Nice. Lo- the best. Gobble, awesome. gobble. And our fourth member of the crew. If you don't know, now you know. Prath is in the building. How was your Thanksgiving, sir? It was great. It was great. Low key this year, as uh, um, I suspect all of them were. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what's not low key is our Market Watch show. And that's why you're here. Uh, Sean, you have any, any words, any preamble before we get into this Market Watch episode? Well, there's been so much happening in the market. I mean, I'm super excited. The Dow hit an all-time high, and you know, we have some settling, and it feels like boring politics is about to begin. I can't wait to watch C-SPAN all over again. So, Prath, what did you find out interesting happening in the market? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a few weeks since I was last on with you guys, and I believe it was also pre-election. So yep, the markets have, of course, you know, been responding to the outcome there to an extent, but you know, really not as much as one would have expected, to be honest. Uh, I think the Monday, you know, after the Associated Press called it for Biden, the uh, the major headline moving stocks became the fact that a few drug makers like Pfizer and Moderna had actually uh, come out with, you know, a super effective COVID-19 vaccine and, you know, that they were making their way through late stage testing. So, you know, this, of course, was against the backdrop of, you know, record high COVID cases at the same time in the U.S. <laughs> and no sign of stimulus. Uh, with effectively a lame duck Congress now. Um, but I think all in all, you know, it's uh, it's certainly been interesting to see the, the, the stock market etching out, you know, record highs, especially over the past week or so with the Dow, you know, hitting an all-time high of 30,000 uh, just this past week. Uh, and a lot of this has been, you know, at the partial expense of, you know, some selling pressure on the tech stocks um, that I kind of mentioned on prior updates that have run up all year, uh, kind of rotating back into more industrial stocks that, took a beating all year. Um, although we saw a little bit of that tech rally happen again this week. So I don't know, it's kind of up and down. And uh, at this point, it just seems like everything's in the green, to be honest. And what about the dollar? I heard the dollar is going to like reaching its lowest points against other currencies because and they're saying that's because there's normalcy now people are going to invest in other markets and foreign markets. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I think the capital flows are there. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of returns taking place in the US. And yeah, that always has, you know, some pressure on the dollar. So not not too surprised. All right. Well, we thank you for that uh, overview of what's going on in the market. But let's jump into today's topic. And today's topic is the acronym ROI. So OMG, give us your POV. Let me do LOL. <laughs> Tell me about ROI, Prath. What is ROI? Break that down for us. So ROI is, uh, you know, it stands for return on investment. And it's just a measure or a gauge on, you know, how much one could expect uh, to receive in terms of returns on a dollar invested in, in anything, really. So it's, it's kind of a universal metric that people use for all different types of asset classes. So how do you calculate that? So the basic math is you put, you know, $1 in today, and then, you know, depending on what your time horizon is for that investment, uh, whenever you make a return on that investment and you get your principal back, that principal plus return, you know, kind of over your initial principal is basically your ROI. Um, so I'm going to jump in for a sec with some cute facts. I was looking into ROI and what I found is that ROI that you just described is called the basic growth rate because it's basic and it doesn't take time into account, just like a more complicated calculation. So like, for example, as you know, obviously a 10% return over one year is more than a 20% return over three years. So there's other kinds of ROA, ROIs called different things like the rate of return, ROR, which measures ROI over time. There's also internal rate of return, IRR, which identifies the annual growth rate, whereas ROI indicates the total start to finish rate of the investment. And then this was really interesting. There's something called social rate of return, SROI. And SROI helps you calculate the value proposition of certain environmental, social, and governance criteria, which means how a company's operation affects nature, relationships with employees, leadership, audits, shareholder rights, and takes all of that into account in ROI and socially responsible investing practices. So after all this, my question is briefly, so we can you break this down. You had a question? So there's a question after all this stuff, right? Because so this is all this stuff and it's like so complicated to every time you get like a little bit farther away from just basic ROI, it explodes into like signs and cosines and square roots and stuff. So basically, so I can get it. How does cadence calculate ROI beyond just a basic growth rate? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we like to think of things on annualized terms um, because that kind of normalizes the 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 duration or kind of the the time variable as you were kind of describing in some of those definitions that you went through. So if you look at everything on kind of an annualized basis, you're basically saying if I held this for exactly one year and I was able to uh, generate these returns that I'm generating either on a monthly or on a daily, whatever the compounding kind of frequency is. If I held it for a year, this is how much I would I would earn uh, in terms of return on investment. Well, I'll tell you this. You know, one thing I've learned through my years of finance and investing, and people wanted me to invest, and me looking to invest. Nobody really. Everybody comes with these different rate of returns and how high it should be. And I don't think anybody really has a clear understanding of. You know, this is why I'm so excited about doing the show. As simple as this may seem, I don't think anybody really has a solid understanding. Of what is a good rate of return? 
you know, should it be like specific towards certain investment or should it be overall investment rate return you should be looking for? And I asked a couple of my smart friends and everybody kind of paused. So, you know, I, I did, I went to the old Google dictionary and I just looked it up and Google says that, you know, people should be happy with like a rate of return of between five to 12% and anything higher than 12% is considered an excellent rate of return. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think that's pretty fair to say, um, but of course it all depends on relative risk and relative value. Um, exactly. So if you're looking at stocks, you know, one would assume a much higher rate of return because they're, you know, deemed to be riskier. If you're looking at secured bonds, you know, you would expect your rate of return to be a lot lower. Um, you know, there's generally a, you know, a metric that you can use called the Sharpe ratio to kind of figure out what your um, you know, unit of return is relative to the unit of risk with risk being defined as, you know, kind of the volatility of those expected returns. Um, so that's kind of one way you can kind of gauge, you know, one equity investment versus another. But I would caution that you can't necessarily use that across different asset classes. Like you can't measure a bond versus an equity using that ratio. Um, but, you know, to go back to your point, I think, you know, generally speaking, five to twelve percent is pretty pretty healthy. Anything over twelve um, is very healthy. But you're probably taking on additional risk to achieve that type of return. Mm -hmm. So, Pras, that was a lot said. And for the average four year guy from Harvard or finance would understand it. But for the simple people, simpletons out there, I feel attacked. What would you say is a good gauge for somebody? Just hey, I'm thinking about investing and where I should be in general. I know it, it depends on the asset classes and everything you just mentioned from mm -hmm. finance, fourth year, Harvard. But in first freshman year, um, college, what would you say people should be kind of gauging for the average investor, typical that doesn't have much experience? Yeah, I would say five to 10% is fair um, because yeah. you're at least beating inflation. Uh, which right. we can get, which we can get into, <laughs> and that's so important for the listeners because people will pitch you on so many different rates of return that really are not realistic. So if you kind of stick within that range, and somebody pitches you within those number, I think then you're you're more of a safe bet, and you're more inclined to 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 make money. Yeah, I agree, and you can be a little bit more cautious in terms of you know where you put your money to work. Um, and you know if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So you got to do your yeah. homework. Prath, what do you consider passive investment dollars? So the way I think about passive is probably two categories. There's kind of what I call passively passive, which is literally hiring like a financial advisor and just asking them to, you know, invest on your behalf and kind of giving up that discretionary control over to them. And then I'd say there's another category of like actively passive, which is, you know, you choosing, uh, you know, which mutual funds or ETFs or, you know, these, these kind of over-the-counter traded type of um, investments in your like 401k or investment portfolio. Um, because these aren't stocks, these aren't, you know, individual companies, these are actually funds that you're buying into that are managed by somebody else. So you're getting that diversification benefit. Um, so you're not actively picking stocks in this case, you're just actively kind of picking managers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you wouldn't consider a regular stock investment like for you when you pick stocks yourself, you wouldn't consider that passive investing. No, I would consider that active investing because mm -hmm. you know if you're picking a stock, you should have some type of thesis around why you think that stock is a good buy. Right. Um, versus if you're buying a mutual fund, you can read their perspectives, you can read kind of what their strategy is, and you can just kind of buy into it and then rely on them to make those allocation decisions. Got it. So you're not talking about passive income, you're talking about the actual investment. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So 
how do you think that alternative investments and cadence can play a role in achieving a favorable ROI? So like, what does cadence aim for in ROI? What would be accept- great or unacceptable? Yeah, we, we try to target, you know, kind of 10% plus or minus a couple hundred basis points or a couple points in either direction. Um, and, you know, how we think about it is cadence is, uh, you know, a segment of a well-diversified portfolio. Uh, you know, while we don't give investment advice to anybody, I'll say that, you know, we generally view ourselves as an attractive alternative uh, investment as a part of a broader diversified portfolio for anybody. So if you have a portfolio of stocks and bonds, and you're looking for a little bit of diversification away from that, then, you know, uh, allocating some of that overall pie to us could make a lot of sense, um, just so that, you know, the returns that you get on our platform don't move the same way that bonds and equities do. So in simple terms, again, what I think you're doing, you're part of a, what we always like to do in investing is you're part of the diversification mix. And you guys are more on the aggressive when it comes to the return. And then you can do, you can still have within your, within your personal investment, things that are a little bit less risky with probably a lesser of a return, but this will kind of give you a, a higher rate of return. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we allow our investors to kind of actively pick which individual investments they want so they can, you know, take a more active approach to actually how to, um, you know, come up with that, that right mix of, uh, you know, different investments to, to um, fill up that alternative investment bucket. Well, here's the important thing of what you're saying. And so we can, and, and, and it's going to lead to a question. Not as long as Karen's questions, but it's going to lead to a question. <laughs> it, was, it was facts, Sean. It was facts and a question. You know, I like this, this is once again, I'm just going to reiterate it. Why this show is so important, because I think people have a, a have extreme or unrealistic return on investment goals. Also, do you believe a, tel- a 12% return can be consistently achieved over one type of investment? People that want to play that safe bet. Now, I know they're going to look at Cadence and say, oh, you guys are risky. I don't want to get involved in anything that's risky. But so if they conservative now and they're saying i'm just going to be conservative do you think consistently over time they can hit that 12 percent, or they need to get in something a little bit more riskier i think they can consistently hit that 12 percent, but again you know you shouldn't have a hundred percent of your eggs in this one cadence basket i guess is my point um you know we can consistently deliver 12 percent on our end um because of all the you know uh, ways that we mitigate risk in in these structured notes and these private credit deals um but i would never advise anybody to you know put their entire 401k into cadence because that would go against the rules of diversification. But I'm talking about on the other end, those that are, that are not, that are scared to get involved in cadence now because they're more risk conservative. Can they consistently hit 12% on the opposite end now? On the, on the opposite end, what do you mean by that? Meaning that, okay, they're, they're risk adverse. Cadence to them is a little too, is too far risky for them. And they're going to stick with just stocks, bonds, and things that are, you know, not alternative investments? Do you think they mm-hmm. consistently, I mean, they can hit it one year, obviously, but over time, can they consistently hit it? Or do they need like a cadence in their life? You know, I need a Karen in my life. She's edgy every now and then. <laughs> I'd have my very regular boring life. And then I call Karen. It's just a whole, I get into it a whole different planet. So does everybody need a Karen in their life or they can just stay kind of? I think everybody needs a Karen in their life. Oh, guys. <laughs> you know, because otherwise, you know, if you're just relying on stocks and bonds, if you look at the historical averages, um, you know, we're talking closer to like, you know, high single digit type of returns. So if right. you're really trying to get that double digit return over a long period of time, you have to allocate a little bit to alternative investments or, 
you know, something else other than stocks and bonds to, to get you that. Well, right. Prath, how much how much risk do you need to take to hit 12% ROI? It's a, it's a good question. The, the answer to that is really, you know, how well the underlying investment is structured, because I think that you can easily hit 12% if you kind of buy, you know, a stock and, you know, you just happen to time it right and you did your research and they do really well. But, you know, there's no quote unquote guarantee in that. There's, there's no security in that. Uh, I could easily go to zero. So to consistently hit 12%, you need to find kind of well-structured deals. And, you know, at Cadence, we believe that structured credit offers that ability for for you to kind of have that downside protection while still being able to hit a consistent kind of double-digit return. And, you know, that's what our uh, thesis is. And we've been able to kind of consistently deliver that since, since we started this. So in keeping with risk, how does Cadence calculate opportunity cost? Yeah, opportunity cost, I would say that the the way that I would think about that, you know, is obviously what you could have done, right, uh, with the time or the money spent in, in something in some decision that you've made. The best thing that I can kind of relate that to is, you know, perhaps a, you know, a call option in a bond where, you know, you are putting money to work in a certain vehicle that's earning, let's just say 10%, and you are locked in for that rate over a certain period of time. Now, if the issuer of that bond calls or refinances or kind of prepays you early, then all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting that 10% return anymore, you got to go find another investment that can earn that rate of return. So, you know, they're basically forcing you into a situation where there's an opportunity cost somewhat where you now have to kind of figure out what that replacement is going to look like. So outside of that, I don't know, it really just kind of comes down to weighing the options and kind of figuring out what that what that allocation needs to look like in your portfolio to hit your target rate of return. Right. So opportunity cost is on the investor to calculate. Yeah, I would say so. And, it, and it's more part of portfolio construction than anything else in my opinion. Right. So Prath, what about Uncle Sam and inflation? Um, how do they play a role with ROI? Yeah, uh, the only thing certain is death and taxes, right? <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, taxes, uh, it's really all about location and uh, what type of investments that you're investing in. And so what I mean by location is like where you're making your investments out of. It could be a taxable account. It could be a tax advantaged account. It could be a tax free account. Um, so many you know, retirement accounts out there. Um, like your IRAs and your 401ks are tax advantaged or in many cases kind of tax free, uh, depending on where it is in that life cycle uh, of, of, uh, of the investment and, and kind of the account. Fully taxable accounts are just like your brokerage accounts. And then there's kind of other tax advantage vehicles out there too. But so it's really about where you put that investment in and kind of what that tax treatment is. And of course, what jurisdiction you're in, because the US tax laws are different than Canadian tax laws. And then it also depends on the asset. So fixed income assets like bonds and, and notes, um, the interest is typically taxed at ordinary income. So you're going to get hit with the full, uh, you know, wrath of uh, Uncle Sam. Um, but if it's a stock um, or something like that, then if you held it for at least a year, then you're getting kind of uh, advantageous uh, tax treatment in the form of long term capital gains. So it's a little bit of location as well as type of asset on the okay. tax side. Yeah. So on the inflation side, um, inflation is really all about purchasing power at the end of the day. Like if we think about 20 years ago, you know, what a gallon of milk costs, I'm sure it was a lot cheaper than what it was today. So if you invest in something that's, you know, out there for 20 years, 
um, you got to take inflation into consideration because that return is being eroded by by the cost of everything around you going up. Um, so typically, that's you know has been historically two percent a year or so. Um, so you got to factor that into your returns. And uh, when you look at fixed income uh, investments, they're always stated in nominal returns uh, and nominal meaning pre-inflation. So if you adjust those for inflation and what you're left over with is really your true rate of return. Um, and so that's that's really what you have to take a look at thinking about ROI on, on longer dated investments. So we have one more question for you, Brad, then we're going to let you off the hook. But hey, people are loving the episodes, loving the show. It's very informative. So for us simple people, it, it really helps us. So I'm glad <laughs> that you're bearing through it. And Cadence is becoming part of helping, you know, teach people finance. So finally, Prath, this is the last one. You ready? Drum roll, Karen. Drum roll, Matt. Got it. What makes talking about good rate of return even more confusing for inexperienced investors is that these historical rates of return, some people think of historical rates of return mean that this is what they're going to get. And they think they're somewhat like guaranteed, believe it or not, Prath. I know you don't come from that world, Prath. That seems kind of foolish, but it's true. Please just give people a quick brief understandings your last question of historical returns versus like actual returns so it makes clarity to our listeners sure so i'll just uh i'll just yell out the disclaimer that historical returns are not indicative of future results which i'm sure everyone has seen at some point on on some investment website um and it rings true Brad, we it... don't read the fine print deal <laughs> <laughs> you read the we don't read it you got to read the fine print. You got to read the fine print. But but at a high level, I would say that historical data and performance is super important because it goes back to that risk uh, calculation that I was talking about earlier. Uh, you need to look at how prices have moved historically uh, to figure out the volatility um, because that volatility in prices is really the gauge of risk as we think about it. So how far prices deviate from their kind of, you know, mean and that standard deviation um, is a critical, critical kind of, uh, you know, variable in how you assess risk in any investment. So you can look at past prices, you can look at past returns, um, but you can't look at them at face value and just expect them to continue. You can use that data to your advantage, though, and factor it into ways to assess what the risk of the investment is today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... 
Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. All right, Prath, um, we appreciate how you've broken this down. You actually left out an important part. We're in the, the holiday season. It's Thanksgiving time. And, you know, we just ate a whole lot of pie. And like, you know, what, what's, what about the re- return on the investment of all the food we ate? What, what happens with that if we overate on, uh, on Thanksgiving? Is there, yes. is there a correlation? <laughs> ROI on pie is the question. <laughs> I guess it depends if you're going to the gym today and uh, using that energy and, and getting your return on food. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> so all of our listeners... Take note on. Speak your- for yourself, young lady. Speak for yourself. <laughs> did, did you work out, Sean? Did you did you work off your your Thanksgiving? I did, man. I kept running and running and running. All right, well, cool. There now we go. have a double. We have the double benefit of understanding the financial ROI and also your Thanksgiving dinner ROI. You know, you can play this either way. But we thank you for the info. We thank you for the market watch. We love when Prath and Cadence joins us and brings us. All of this info. So with that, I'd like to sign out. Um, Prath, any any final words? Uh, no, it's just great to be back on and uh, looking forward to, to coming back and, and um, you know, giving, giving you guys another update. Awesome. Well, I'm one third of two black guys with good credit. Do that math. And <laughs> happy holidays. Everybody stay safe out there and, and I'm out. And I'm Karen Margolis. I'm a third slash fourth of two black guys with good credit. The math gets deeper and deeper. (laughs) And I hope everybody had an amazing Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you in the next one. I'm Sean. Always the better half, the better third, the better fourth. Whatever better you want to call me of two black guys with good credit. And as I say every show, keep your money in your damn pocket, people. And if you have any questions or, or just want to send us a nice shout out or leave us a response, please send us an email at tbgwgc at gmail.com. That's two black guys with good credit at gmail.com. And we're starting a new thing. Leave us some audio. Leave us an audio note. You can email us there, your audio note, and we're going to put it on our show. You can hear your voice. You can leave a wonderful message and we'll play it. We may even comment on it. Right, Karen? Right, Matt? Million, Absolutely. million percent. Actually, exactly. Brad. Pratt, since you're one fourth of, of two black guys with good credit, um, can you give us your uh, final? You, you got to give us a goodbye, man. Of course. No, thank everybody for listening in. Happy holidays. And uh, I guess says one fourth or fifth of black guys with good credit. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I hope everyone can do the math at home. <laughs> right, and he's out. <laughs> we're out of here. Thank you guys. Next time. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.